Yo, 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 Elon. Hello. Welcome back. Thank you. Welcome back. <laughs> it's so good to finally be recording again. Yes. Um, we're doing two episodes today, and it's our first week back from an unplanned break. Mm-hmm. Because life. Life is insane. Yep, yep, yep. Um, so... Anything interesting to report from the week? Well, since Disney Plus was released this week, this week, I took the time to introduce my kids to our childhood. Uh, TJ watched Darkwing Duck, Darkwing Duck with me oh, throughout the week. I used to love Darkwing Duck. Me too. Isn't he the one that used to say blathering blather sky? Yes. Yes. So the we're watching it and TJ is very interested and he looks at me and says, Mama, it is a Batman duck. Oh, that's a great way to describe it. It really is. Gosh, your kid's a genius. He is. He's a smart kid. I love him. And then he then we started singing and dancing along to the theme song and I think it's his new favorite. Oh, that's great. Mm-hmm. That is way better than Peppa Pig, which is Seriously. Which is Holden's favorite thing right now oh i can't like, stand peppa pig he's started saying oh dear <laughs> which is kind of cute that's cute <laughs> but i'm so tired of watching dick-faced peppa oh my god right oh my god i i don't i can't unsee that <laughs> like i've always thought that yeah me too so then when i saw the meme where someone actually edited peppa to look like yeah a dick face it was totally um, a scrotum I was like, yeah, I don't understand how people didn't see that. Right. Before. I was just like, well, sure. <laughs> mm. <laughs> well, I actually went out of town for mm-hmm. a night and I spent some time with a friend and we watched The Girl on the Third Floor, mm-hmm. which can be rented for like $7 okay. on multiple streaming services. I would say that $7 is an overcharge. Oh, damn. By about $7. <laughs> this movie was, I'm not joking, like there was no plot. The acting was beyond terrible. And not like in an Evil Dead type way. like Where it's like fun and campy. Yeah, it was just weird. And hard to follow but but if you're into movies where houses ooze semen nice and black splooge of some sort this is the movie for you that sounds like a cinematic masterpiece to me and once we looked at the reviews apparently the cm punk is in it and which just makes me have to watch it it's worth the time i guess the investment, the two hours that you're never going to get back. Just do it, because I'm very <laughs> curious to hear what you think of this movie. Of course. And then, oh, what's the, what was the one we watched? Um, Pilgrims. The Pilgrims. That was intense. Oh, my gosh. Watch, so good. Watch Pilgrims. Definitely. Definitely Soon. watch that. Um, who, yeah, it was on Hulu. Yes. Amazing. You will yell at the TV. It is great. <laughs> That's more of like an Evil Dead type. Terrible. Yeah, it's a it's a fun terrible yes. and a frustrating terrible, yes. but really really good. So, um, the internet has been exploding this week mm-hmm. with stories about Narwhal, the unicorn puppy. Mm-hmm. 
He's so cute. He is so cute. This little, he looks like a little lab or something. I think they said he was dachshund. Dachshund, okay. I think. He's just this cute little yellow dog, and he has a tiny little non-functioning tail that grows out of his forehead. (laughs) And he has, like, taken the internet by storm. Even Zach Braff is like, I want this dog. Yes. He said, um, does it wag? Answer me, all caps. (laughs) I think he just was thinking what we're all thinking. Absolutely, because that was my first thought. Does it wag? I think it's just a weird growth. I just love it. Yeah, he's a cutie pie. We need more, like, good news in the world. We do. Cute animal stories, please. All of them. Um, What are we doing this week? This week, we are going to talk about the Chicago Tylenol murders. These murders happened the year that I was born. Oh, that's and true. I keep forgetting you're older than me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, according to Sean, I'm older than everyone. And oh, I'm, whatever. And apparently I'm in my midlife crisis, <laughs> which I, I'm very sensitive about the term midlife right now. Oh, my God. Okay, first of all, no. And now that I have a birthday coming like in six weeks, yeah. I'm, Mm, I'm over that old, old bullshit. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I was born the year that the murders happened. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, we both only know a world post this incident. Yes. So, it was kind of fascinating to hear, like, how this was handled. Mm-hmm. And, and how it changed. How it changed so many things. It did. Um, yeah, let's dive in. All right. So, um, we're going to talk about the crime. And just a quick blurb about each uh, about each victim uh, first here, just to give you guys a good feel for what happened. All right. So in 1982, there were a series of poisoning deaths throughout the Chicagoland area. These deaths all had one seemingly innocuous thing in common. Each victim had taken a dose of extra strength Tylenol shortly before their deaths. In total, seven people died as a result of the original poisonings. The crime remains unsolved. In September of 1982, 12-year-old Mary Kellerman woke her parents up complaining of a sore throat. They then gave her two Tylenol capsules and sent her back to bed. She collapsed to the floor a few moments later. Based on the sudden symptoms, the paramedics thought she suffered a stroke or a heart attack. Next was Postal Service employee Adam Janis, who was 27. He died later that same morning. He stayed home from work due to a chest cold and after having taken a dose of the pain reliever, fell into a coma just before noon. Later that afternoon, Mary Reiner, 27, who had just given birth to her fourth child. Oh, my God. Oh, this I don't. This bothers me. I don't so deeply. uh, Stopped into her local grocery store to pick up a bottle of Tylenol for her postpartum aches. Forty five minutes later, she also fell into a coma. Oh, after a stressful day at, her, at the call center she's worked at for years, Mary McFarland, 31, went on break to take a dose of medication for her migraine. After a trip to the restroom, she walked back into the office and collapsed to the floor. Around 5 p.m., Adam Janice's grief-stricken family gathered in his home to comfort each other and began talking about funeral arrangements. His brother, Stanley, 25, and sister-in-law, Teresa, 19, each complaining of headaches were directed to Adam's bathroom where a bottle of Tylenol sat on the counter. Minutes later, Stanley collapsed in the living room. 
The paramedics arrived quickly and began loading him onto a stretcher. While they were loading him onto the stretcher, suddenly Teresa fell to the floor. The house was evacuated and the family, as well as the first responders, were put under quarantine to rule out a contagion or, to or toxic, toxic substance. Lastly, flight attendant Paula Prince, 35, had just arrived to O'Hare after a flight to Las Vegas and back. She was absolutely exhausted, but had to make one more stop. She popped into Walgreens to pick up some extra strength Tylenol around 9 p.m. Paula went home, put on a floral print nightgown, took her medicine, and collapsed shortly thereafter. Her body was discovered two days later, her face still half smeared with cold cream. Mm. The only connection the police found was a dose of extra strength Tylenol each victim took shortly before their death. So, um, I'm going to interrupt you with a fun fact. Okay. The police did not discover the connection. Oh, who did? I will tell you about that later. Yes. <laughs> All right. So, uh, following the lead, the, the capsules were tested uh, from the bottoms that bottles that belonged to the victims. Each capsule contained enough potassium cyanide to be fatal to thousands of people. The pills came from several different production plants and were sold under or sold to different pharmacies around the Chicago area, which I'm just blown away by how incredibly difficult that must have been to piece together. Yeah, um, it actually. Um it's kind of interesting um, that you now that you mentioned that. Mm -hmm. So um, it was a woman. Oh, cool! A nurse mm -hmm. by the name of Helen Jensen. Okay. Um, so Helen was the village nurse in um, the town that um, Adam and his family lived in. Right. And she went to the Janice family home as a public health officer. Shout out to public health nurses. Mm -hmm. I love them. I they are my favorite I people. Knew, I knew you would love this. Yes. Um, so she was there investigating the very sudden deaths of Adam, Stanley, and Teresa. Mm -hmm. She, While she was there, she saw the open Tylenol on the counter and had like an aha moment. Ooh. Um, she counted up the pills and saw... Mysteriously, there were six tablets gone. Uh-huh. A dose for each dead person. <sighs> so she immediately knows that, you know, it's tied together. Mm-hmm. Um, so, of course, it was 1982, though. Right. And the men involved in the investigation just kind of, like, patted her on the head and blew her off and kind of mansplained it away. Of course. Um, because obviously as a woman, she did not have the intelligence or wherewithal to make such an important discovery. Of course not. However, when she woke up the next day, the information that she relayed to the, to the authorities was all over the news media. Ooh, God, that is so cool. Mm-hmm. So we have Ellen, Helen Jensen, mm -hmm. a lovely female nurse to think for figuring this out quickly if the police had not listened to her mm -hmm. like imagine how many more people would be gone right so um as always nurses the unsung heroes mm -hmm. nurses mm -hmm. are bad bitches yes they are so early in 1983 mm -hmm. the chicago tribune at the request of the fbi ended up publishing the location of mary kellerman's grave and her home address. Mm -hmm. um, you guys remember that she was the first victim and she was also the youngest victim. Right. So this tactic was proposed by John Douglas. If you don't know who that is, we are not friends. <laughs> um, sorry, I'm not sorry. <laughs> so John Douglas 
is a retired special agent with the FBI who just happened to found a little team called the Behavioral Analysis Unit. Mm-hmm. Um, he was one of the very first profilers ever, and Mindhunter is loosely based on yep. his adventures. Pretty cool shit. So John thought that the perpetrator might be called to visit the victim's home or gravesite to kind of relive the glory of the murders happening. Of course. Um, but unfortunately, even with 24-hour surveillance for many months, nothing ever came from that. Uh-huh. Um, in another dead end, a surveillance photo of Paula Prince purchasing the contaminated Tylenol at a Walgreens on North Wells Street showed a bearded man that police believe may have been involved. When I kind of went, I tried to go down this rabbit hole. Yeah. Um, but there was not a lot more information about him. Like, I, don't I hit know, a roadblock with that one, too. I don't know why they felt that way mm-hmm. or what prompted that, but... Honestly, it was probably just the beard. Right. <laughs> Grainy surveillance footage. Um, my favorite part of the investigation, though, is um, the FBI actually ended up requesting DNA samples from Ted Kaczynski. I love it. The Unabomber. Yep. And it's actually not, like, a crazy theory, as mm-hmm. you would think, um, because Ted Kaczynski was originally from... Illinois, yep. not too far from Chicago. Um, his family still lived nearby during the time, and he was known to visit the area occasionally. Mm-hmm. So it wouldn't be that complicated for him to have slipped in, done this, and slipped out. And it also kind of was, I could see it, like, the pattern kind of loosely fitting how he did his bombs and stuff. Oh, definitely. So that was interesting. But they ended up... Um, I don't think anything ever came from that, and he denied ever possessing potassium cyanide. Okay. So, take that for what it is. Right. Um, Okay, so now we're going to get back into Helen, Mm -hmm. and we're going to talk about how Helen is a bad bitch. Yes, please. So, she said fuck it after the police kind of blew her off and mansplained things away and then took credit for her amazing intelligence. Mm -hmm. Um, She actually went out of her lane and reached out to Johnson and Johnson who are the makers of Tylenol. Yep. So she did that on her own and she told them that they needed to pull the Tylenol from the shelves. Um, she said the same to local authorities and miraculously by 10 a.m. that day, all of the Tylenol was removed from the shelves, which ended up costing Johnson and Johnson millions. Oh, of course. Yeah. Did you, you, you said your dad lived there? Yes. Um, at that point, my dad was living in Chicago, um, and he was working at a local pharmacy, um, which I'm not going to name right now. But he was kind of describing to me the aftermath of the announcement and how they had to clear the shelves. He was telling me how there was this big rolling dumpster, and the employees were instructed to kind of like take their arm and shove all the Tylenol stuff into the dumpster. So this was everything. So the extra strength, the regular, all of it, because no one knew exactly what the situation was. They just knew that the Tylenol was involved. That was insane to imagine. Yeah. And then they took it a step further by having the police drive through neighborhoods shouting on megaphones to not take Tylenol. Yes. Because, I mean, what else are they going to do? Exactly. Like, Pre-internet, how are you going to get that information to everyone? So crazy. Especially since news was like, you know, at six. And, you know, you may or may not have gotten to watch it that night. Exactly. Um, 
Johnson and Johnson actually did a really great job in response to this incident. Um, they went a step further and issued a nationwide recall, mm-hmm. even even though nothing had happened in other cities. They wanted to make sure that it did not. Right. Um, so there's people are just panicked all over the place. Hospitals and poison control are inundated with paranoid people. Um, it's just mayhem. Yeah. So, and it was at this point where it was discovered, like you mentioned, each capsule had enough potassium cyanide to kill thousands of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and authorities did eventually conclude that the products would have had to have been tampered with once they reached the stores right. because they were all different lots and different manufacturing areas. Mm-hmm. So that kind of wraps up my investigation piece. Okay. Um so and then we'll talk about these suspects. So <laughs> there were a couple here. Um, the first was James Lewis. He's my favorite. Yeah, mine too. The police have never arrested anyone for the original Tylenol murders, but a tax consultant named James Lewis tried to take credit for the poisonings. He wrote a letter to Johnson & Johnson that was delivered to an internal strategy meeting at the company. And I'm just going to read you guys the letter. Mind you, this was in all black, like all caps. And so he's like super he's shouting <laughs> Okay, gentlemen, as you can see, it is easy to place cyanide, parentheses, both potassium and sodium, into capsules sitting on store shelves. And since the cyanide is inside the gelatin, it is easy to get buyers to swallow the bitter pill. Another beauty is that cyanide operates quickly. It takes so very little, and there will be no time to take countermeasures. Mm. If you don't mind the publicity of these little capsules, then do nothing. So far, I have spent less than $50, and it takes me less than 10 minutes per bottle. If you want to stop the killings, then wire $1 million to bank account number 8449597 at Continental (laughs) Illinois Bank, Chicago, Illinois. Don't attempt to involve the FBI or local Chicago authorities with this letter. A couple of phone calls by me will undo anything you can possibly do. Okay, seriously. <laughs> Look at the punctuation in that letter, though. That's what cracks me up. There are so many unnecessary periods, and I struggle to even read this because I'm sitting here like, is that a comma? Is that supposed to be but a But you know comma? what, though? It wasn't, they didn't have spell check on typewriters. They did not. You're right. <laughs> so... A little bit about this guy. He's just not right. Like, he's, he's not all Clearly. Right. So a few tidbits about him. He was born to a family of migrant workers, but he and his siblings, uh, two older sisters, were abandoned in a motel hmm. by their mother. Um, they were split up, and he was adopted by a blue-collar couple. He had a history of violence against his parents as a teenager, but was an outstanding student and friendly person, according to his classmates. Double life red flag here, right? Creepy. Mm-hmm. He reportedly chased his mother with an axe and as, broke his stepfather's ribs. As one does. As one does. Hmm. As an adult, he was charged with a murder in 1978 after remains of one of his former clients were found in bags in his attic. Like the actual remains were in the attic. Oh. The charges were dropped because, get this... A judge ruled that the search of his house was illegal because the arresting officer did not read him his Miranda rights. Wait, this this guy must be white. Bingo! Mm. So every bit of evidence, including the corpse, 
was deemed inadmissible. Motherfucker. Yeah. So he he quite literally got away with murder. On a technicality. Yep. And the whole reason they found out about it is because a friend of the client thought something seemed weird. He came by to check on him and just smelled the rotting corpse. Okay, so I don't condone murdering people, but if you're going to do it, you don't keep them at your house. That's what I'm saying. Like, there is a whole corpse. And the in during the investigation, the police could see like there was trails of blood, there was bodily fluids. The man's blood was soaking from like his bodily fluids were soaking from the attic down what into do you, the living room. What's your plan for that? Though? Exactly. Like, how do you clean that up? Whatever. Dude, okay. dude was not all there. So, dude was obviously not intelligent. Yep. Uh, the police could never tie him to the Tylenol killings, and he denied committing them. He is convicted of extortion because of the letter, and spent thirteen years of a twenty-year sentence in federal prison. Okay. But the FBI later reopened the investigation in February of 2009 and focused back on him. The FBI searched his office and a storage unit belonging to him. But the FBI has never said what the reason for the search actually was and have not named Lewis in conjunction with the reopened investigation. Funny thing, though, a Boston News outlet reported that court documents in early 2009 concluded Lewis was responsible for the poisonings despite the lack of evidence interesting right but there's been nothing else past that it was just this news blurb on the tv on on, um, the tv news so january 2010 both lewis and his wife submitted dna samples to authorities and they continued to deny all responsibility for the poisonings well they obviously lied i'm convinced that it was the two of them me too Mm -hmm. next we have roger arnold he was a 48 year old dock worker frequented bars in Lincoln Park, and one evening made some kind of drunken remark about the Tylenol murders that gave his fellow bar patrons pause. He must have said something that was enough to make people question his involvement. Someone sent a tip to the Chicago Police Department, and he was arrested on a four-month-old assault complaint. The police used that warrant to interrogate him about the poisonings and found a couple of coincidences. First one, Roger Arnold worked at a jewel warehouse with Mary Reiner's father. Okay, but that could just be a coincidence. I mean, he didn't specifically go to the Reiner's house to poison their Tylenol. He did not. His ex-wife was housed in the psych ward across the street from that store where Mary Reiner purchased her Tylenol. Oh. That made it a little... Yeah. So that kind of made me go, hmm, there might be something to this. So these coincidences led to a search of his apartment. In the apartment, they found some Soldier of Fortune magazines, which to me are a red flag to begin with. (laughs) Uh, some how-to crime manuals, which not so much because I have a few of those. Right. <laughs> Several unlicensed guns, lab equipment, and lastly, a bag of chemical powder. After testing the powder, they found it was potassium carbonate, not cyanide, but still. Whoa. Right? When asked what the powder was for, he replied, I'm not saying what the chemicals were used for, but it was nothing illegal. Oh, sure. Yep, totally believable. Seems legit. <laughs> so once he was released on bond, he was furious and convinced that he knew that he knew who turned him in. A man named John Stanisha was leaving a Lincoln Avenue bar after last call, June 18th of 83. John resembled the man that Roger Arnold believed to be responsible for turning him in, which seems seemed kind of vague. And basically, they had a similar build and same hair color. Yeah, I am. Um... I actually listened to a few podcasts about uh-huh. this case, and they went into super detail about this, and it was very interesting. But yeah, he, um, I don't even think he got a good look at his face. He didn't. He just assumed. Yep, he just assumed it was him. 
So Arnold, who had been stalking Jones Tanisha, approached him from behind. He yelled, you turned me in, and shot him at point-blank range. Roger Arnold was tried, convicted, and did 30 years for the murder. He's now out on parole, and Arnold was never charged in the Tylenol murders and is no longer a person of interest. And then there were a couple... So we had the... It was like a vague mm, kind of public idea where every time someone had like a questionable murder that involved poisoning they Mm -hmm. the common idea was that they were somehow involved in the Tylenol murders so there were a handful of other people that the community thought may have been interested that may have been involved in the murders but none of them actually panned out okay so yeah that's where we are with those all right so after you know the aftermath of this is kind of fascinating to me um, you know, it's hard to believe this, but before 1982, tamper-proof packaging just didn't exist. There That's was, crazy. They never saw a need for that. Um, the pharmaceutical and food industries dramatic, dramatically improved their safety game after all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, they provided better packaging, tamper-proof seals, and more security during the manufacturing process, which has actually resulted in a dramatic drop in copycat crimes. Right. So, um, there were about 270 different instances of product tampering in the months that followed the murders. Um, these assholes would use everything from rat poison and hydrochloric acid in their attempts. Mm -hmm. They even expanded into food tampering, which is where a lot of the beloved Halloween urban legends, um, at least partially stemmed from. Right. And then I have a random fun fact for you. Yes. Um, beloved Helen. Oh yes, public health nurse extraordinaire. <laughs> um, she gets a chuckle because every time her husband is trying to open a prescription bottle, he likes to yell at her and say, "Damn you, Helen, and that Tylenol." That's so cute. <laughs> so, oh, I love it. Um. Yeah. So literally, it changed how our government does things, like the FDA. Mm-hmm. It's just a huge ripple effect. Some mm. good came out of this. Yeah. And then if you want to learn more about Helen, there was a really great article written about her a couple of years ago mm-hmm. um, that was on patch.com. So. Oh, okay. And then... Uh, I have to find that one. Yeah. It was very good. And I, I just really love that she finally got the credit. She yes. That's and, great. The whole thing that I was pulling, um, I was pulling current articles, and then there were a few from between 2009 and 2012. Um, I'm like, there's just no, I, I was really frustrated because there's no resolution. I know. <laughs> it's almost like true crime blue balls or something. It's, that's exactly it. Yeah. Exactly it's like, it. I want to see someone punished for that. Mm-hmm. I, need, I need to know who did it and why. It's just so sad to think, like, these people died so senselessly, so unexpectedly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the first victim was an only child. Yes, and she's a baby. As parents, to watch your 12-year-old die in such a horrific manner, I can't imagine. And suddenly, and like all you're doing, the whole reasons that you were taking care of her. Right. Could you imagine that guilt? Well, and, and one of the things that I read, one of the accounts, the mom was talking about how bad she felt because... She thought her daughter was just playing up her symptoms to stay home from school. Yeah. And she's like, oh, just take some Tylenol. You're fine. 
And then she, like, died five minutes later. Oh, my God. That that just reminds me. Okay. So, I have an anecdote. <laughs> so, um, when I was in high school, I got diagnosed with ventricular tachycardia. Okay. But how it happened was during my AP Spanish exam, my heart rate, I couldn't get it to calm down. I felt woozy. Called my mom. Mom, I can't get my heart rate to slow down. I feel like I'm going to pass out. She goes, oh, dear God, just take the exam, Dominique. Okay. I sit back down, take the exam, pass out, mid-Spanish exam. Oops. Head hits the desk, everything. I wake up at Bronson. Oops. I have never let my mom live that down. Good. I bring it up every time she gets mad at me for letting Isabel stay home for Good. being sick. Well, unlike you, I listen to my child when she says she's ill. <laughs> Good. Good for you. So as a result, I've had three catheter ablations and to finally get it under control. And it took a long while. But yeah, I have never let her live that down. And she still feels really guilty about it. But I have a ridiculous amount of ire built up around that. And that was the source of a lot of teenage angst. Because mom didn't listen to me. (laughs) That happened to poor Sean. He um, was younger. Mm -hmm. And he was like, I have a stomach ache. And... His parents are like, oh, you're fine. Yep. And, and then he kept complaining about it. So they finally took him and he ended up sitting in the waiting room of the hospital for like eight hours until oh they God. realized that, oh, your appendix is going to burst. Oh, poor Sean. I know. That's the worst. I know. And that I pain is intense. I can't imagine. Did you hear about the kidnapping at school? I did not. It's okay. He's awake now. Oh, good Lord. Why can't you hear a pterodactyl go to the bathroom? <laughs> Why? Because the pee is silent. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> what do you call a thieving alligator? Uh, what? A crocodile. Okay, that one's cute. I like that one. That is really cute. Mm-hmm. Did you know that being a vegetarian is a big missed steak? Oh, that was painful. That one is painful. Like, giving me physical pain. You love it. I do. Um, so, we know that I have a Macaulay Culkin obsession. Yes. And as I've mentioned before, it's my greatest mission in life to become his best friend. Well, yeah. So, I know we joked around about this before, but I'm going to implore all of our wonderful listeners to please call phone number 845-393-4629, which is the Bunny Ears podcast voicemail line. Um, Please leave Macaulay a lovely voicemail telling him how wonderful Sinister Strange and Suspicious podcast (laughs) is. And that he should listen to us and be my best friend. Yes, absolutely. And my name is pronounced Casey. (laughs) Oh, man. I'm not joking. Like, please go do this. I'm I'm doing this today. Yes, clearly. We have to. If you make this call for me, please follow it up with a comment on our page. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Just because we want, we want to. I want to hear from him. I want to know. Yep. And hopefully, we'll hear from Macaulay Culkin soon, <laughs> or his people, whatever. I'd rather hear from him. Well, I think so. <laughs> I kind of want to know what his favorite color nail polish is. Ooh, yeah. 
Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm interested. And also, I just would really like to be able to share all of these terrible My Girl memes that I keep Oh, finding. my God. They're so good, though. <laughs> they're so good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I never thought I'd get over that movie. I'm glad, like, finally I have... I'm able to laugh about it because that movie emotionally destroyed me. Apparently, I'm the only person on earth who's like, ha ha, these are funny. They are funny. (laughs) They're dark and they're funny and I like it. Yes. I have been very amused by your My Girl memes. So, guys, you can check us out on Facebook at Sinister, Strange, and Suspicious Podcast. On Instagram at sssspodcast13. Mm-hmm. You can email us at sssspodcast13 at gmail. And you can go to our website, which is sssspodcast.net. Yeah, guys. All right. Have a great week. And, um, you know, don't do anything I wouldn't do. Right. <laughs> which, I mean, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> Bye. Bye.